Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. We have Dr. Kelly Vincent on. I'm super excited to have her on because um, if you've known or have listened to me, uh, I'm, I'm really into anxiety. You know, that's uh, one of my specialties as a therapist. And we all struggle with stress and anxiety on, on a week, daily, monthly basis, especially in the world we live in today. So, uh, Kelly, can you introduce yourself to the listeners and uh, so they get to know you a little bit? Yes. Well, hi. Thank you for having me. Um, so, yeah, I am a, a clinical psychologist practicing in Encinitas, and I primarily work with actually a lot of women. Um, oddly enough, it wasn't, you know, I didn't make my practice that way. It just has become that. But a lot of um, focus on anxiety, depression, trauma, um, and dysregulated nervous systems, essentially. Which, mm. like you said, we all experience. Um, it's it's part of our physiological response. But um, but yeah, working on all, a lot of psychoeducation about kind of what it means to be anxious and to feel anxious in our bodies and in our minds, and then how to manage because it is something that, as much as we would like to just get rid of completely forever and ever, it most likely never will be rid of us completely. And we need it actually. We actually need it. It's part of our um, stress response. It's part of what keeps us safe. So I like to teach and educate about what it's like because a lot of people come to me thinking that there's something wrong with them, that they're always going to be like this or that they're broken. When in reality, it's often coupled with things been through as kids or what they've been modeled or how they've been conditioned. So um, we do a lot of that kind of root work and then um, how to cope with it. Amazing. You know, something I always ask um, all the mental health professionals that I have on is how they got into that world. Like what pushed you into the mental health world, into being a clinical psychologist? Yeah, good question. Um, So mine was, a, and I think actually a lot of therapists, you know, have had similar stories, but mine was a bit of a roundabout way. I was in digital marketing. Um, Actually, before in college and undergrad, I wanted to work in entertainment. I wanted to do anything, you know, in LA and work in entertainment. And then I did that right after college. um, I actually graduated with a marketing degree and a business degree. So I had no psych previous experience. Um, I had never been to a therapist or anything like that. But anyways, I was in that world for about five to six years and just felt so unfulfilled. Um, and I thank my my intuitive self for knowing that that wasn't aligning with what it is that I wanted. Um, it just something didn't jive. The values didn't jive. Um, and so I kind of went on this quest around age 25, 26, I call it my quarter life crisis of what it is I want to do. Like how, what, do, what, what, uh, you know, makes me excited? What makes me, what jives me up? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so for, it was about like a year that I kind of tried to explore, um, in the world of psychology, cause it's always fascinating. I think it's fascinating for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be the the girl that was talking on the phone for like hours with with my friends about what was going on in their life. I just love to kind of understand people. So it was literally a 180 and I just jumped and decided to like go back to school and get my doctorate in psychology without really any background in it whatsoever besides that year of just exploring. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I think I'm just so thankful that I did do that because it turned out to be one of the best decisions of my life. So Mm -hmm. it was a bit of a roundabout way to get to where I am. But you know, that's how life is, right? Yeah. How long have you been doing it for? So I mean if you include grad school, like eight or nine years at this point. That's awesome. Right? Good yeah? for you. That's amazing. I don't know. Not, not <laughs> um 
And, you know, every single therapist has their own ups and downs of their experience of being a therapist. How have you felt, you know, you're pretty popular in social media, you're out there in the world doing things. How have you felt the world of mental health and therapy has changed over the your, your eight years or so of being in this world? Oh my gosh, changed so much. Yeah, even this, the social, that, that was never something I thought would be part of my practice or part of a, a business or part of my daily routine, but it has become that. But yeah, oh, I mean, I think so. I think it's it's moving in the right direction. This idea of normalizing therapy, normalizing therapists, normalizing understanding yourself, normalizing how to cope with your emotions, how to feel your emotions. And I think actually one of the big benefits of Instagram, there's, you know, a lot of cons there too. But one of the big benefits is is that normalization, having therapists, you know, show up in that space as, as their professional self and sometimes even as their personal self and kind of just normalize it and destigmatize it. So I feel like it's, it's starting to really shift in that direction of making it just as much of a priority as your physical health. Um, cause yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up not even noticing my mental health or being aware of my mental health or learning about my mental health. Um, cause I think, you know, generations before us didn't either the generation before that didn't. Um, but I do think it is shifting. Um, I don't know if you've, you've noticed that in your work, but, um, I think, you know, it's headed in the right direction, still a ton of work to do. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's just so amazing that you have so many different voices to, to, to get a feel of mental health and therapy, right? Because we, uh, when growing up, um, you, you only experience the person that you either saw or heard someone see or the rumors or myths about therapy, but never experienced the diversity of different styles of therapists and therapy. Um, right. And, and something I wanted to touch on before we get into the main topic is you brand yourself as a holistic therapist or psychotherapist. What does that differ from maybe a classic sense and what does that actually mean then when it comes to the practice yeah. and how you help people? Yeah. It's such a good question. I think, you know, the way I was trained was very, it was very um, like modalities, which are very fruitful and helpful modalities, but things like CBT, where it's just very focused on kind of the neck up, right? So just the head, um, you know, thinking about our thoughts, thinking about how those thoughts influence our feelings and our behaviors and whatnot. So I think it, at least in my graduate school, so much of it was just focused a lot on just the, the brain and the emotions of the brain versus the body. So when I think of holistic, I mean, I think of it a lot of different ways, but the one primary way is thinking of bringing the whole self, the whole body into the treatment, right? So I mentioned the nervous system before. That I think is a way to look at someone holistically. So yes, you're having anxiety in your mind. You're having these anxious thoughts, but your nervous system is doing something as well. And your nervous system, um, specifically the autonomic nervous system is impacting all areas of your body, your digestion, your immune, your endocrine system, all the systems, um, that need to be looked at and need to be, you know, managed or regulated or, um, just given some time and space to understand what is going on in there. So that's kind of one way I, I look at holistic, but I also think that there's you know, other ways to kind of really bring in the person, um, as a whole self, right? So their spiritual self, their physical self, emotional self, social self, environmental self, um, all those different parts of them and trying to integrate it into the work, um, along with the physical body. So, um, different interventions like utilizing yoga, utilizing, utilizing meditation, breath work. Mm -hmm. Uh, my group practice right now, I'm building out sort of a whole like curated holistic, uh, 
collaborator team, if you will, that so, so for instance, someone comes to me for anxiety, you know, I'm working on the, the mental and emotional part. And then say they're having a ton of gut issues, which is very mm-hmm. normal and very related to anxiety. Maybe I bring in a naturopath to help sort of, you know, create a gut protocol. So that's kind of how I see it holistically because they all interplay, right? They're all kind of impacting each other. And I feel like as psychologists, sometimes or therapists, sometimes we can only get so, you know, so much breadth and depth to kind of what the person is experiencing. So bringing in these other elements of them to help heal and restore and recalibrate, I think it'd be really valuable. Um, so yeah, that's how I, I kind of visualize it mm-hmm. is or just kind of conceptualize it, I guess, um, when it comes to kind of treating people. But I didn't really get taught that in grad school. I got taught about no, the nervous system, but not, not that I've you know been studying it, like the polyvagal theory and those kinds of things. It was not there. No, I mean, like I had an intern this year, um, and it kind of opened my eyes to the the love I have for supervision. Um, and my intern and I were working from the day one to relearn what it actually means to be a therapist versus what is being taught in school. Now, school teaches you a basic foundation of you know modalities, you know CBT, DBT, yeah. ACT, EFT, ABCD, EFG, whatever the letters are. Yeah. But then that's all she focused on, and yeah. not being with the person who's with yeah. you and, and meeting them actually how they're expressing and emoting or feeling that day. And, you know, it took a lot of retraining. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what I hear holistic in the medical world, people think that's mumble jumbo, like, you know, uh, spices and, and, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and, you know, a wellness pill or things of that nature. But in the holistic, and I don't know what it really means in the medical world because I've never asked a medical professional who brands themselves as holistic, but I love the explanation of a holistic psychotherapist because that's your entire self, totally. which is what it and, should be. Right. And we can even think of holistic as the basics, right? Asking them about their sleep patterns, asking them about their diet, asking them about their sugar and alcohol and caffeine intake, right? Like, so if we're, if yes, we're not a dietitian, yes, we're not, you know, the it's within our scope, obviously, but if we're asking those questions to understand how those are impacting the the presenting issue of anxiety, if I don't know those things, how can I really treat them wholly <laughs> um, without kind of understanding, oh, you, you have coffee four times a day and then you're addicted to sugar and you love your wine. Okay, well, maybe we should kind of, you know, see if we can kind of do a little bit of a lifestyle audit and make some shifts there and see how then it's impacting your emotional health and it's impacting the anxiety or the depression or whatever. So Yeah, and especially if they're not taking care of their, their body, um, there's so much research on how that's connected just from a, like if you're not sleeping enough, your brain can't combat and deal with negative thinking that it yeah. might, might in a higher state of sleep or a better state of sleep or a better eating pattern could deal with that better. Yes. Or you might be able to handle it in a, in a healthier way yeah. versus being crushed by it. And all people, a lot of therapists focus on, Oh, you have anxiety, take a pill, yeah, yeah. which for the right person, right? If that, if that's what works for you, but what I'm yeah. saying is the idea is like, what about the everything else in your life that we can maybe shift? Like I know, like I told you right before we got on that I'm moving to Vegas, yeah. right? And one of the reasons I'm doing that is to have quality outdoors, sun, slowing down, right? Getting time for family and self. Mm-hmm. That is going to help me be a calmer being when I know that naturally I am a more anxious person. So a shift of lifestyle. Yes, yes. 
might be the biggest difference. Not that now I'm quote unquote cured or fixed of my anxious energy, but I can handle it better and cope and have better coping abilities in my entirety of my life. Yeah. And And you're aware of it, right? You're aware of how an environment plays a role and what And most people aren't. No, no, no. Yeah. And that's our job to kind of help people. And that awareness, too late. <laughs> Hooray! Let's mess with people's lives, um, right? And shake it up a little bit, right? Um, that's what I love doing is shaking up uh, expectations and perceptions of their life to see if it really still sticks and how they want to live. Um, so I want to jump into the nervous system, right? That's your that's your bread and butter. And, I love the nervous system. And, and so can you explain maybe why or how anxiety and depression rocks the nervous system to be off kilter? and yeah. And, and and what it really does to us on a uh, day-to-day basis then. Yeah. Yeah. So, and not, and I'll try to like condense it. So it's not, cause I'm like obsessed with like the polyvagal theory. And if you're of interest or whoever's listening is of interest, I would highly recommend Googling the polyvagal theory. There's like, there's a beginner's guide by Deb Dana that gives sort of everything that I'm talking about in a very relatable, digestible way. So um, if we think of like, if we think of anxiety, right? So anxiety is often a fear. It's often a worry. It's often something about the future. Um, Essentially, it's a perceived threat of some kind, right? So when the brain perceives any sort of threat, either real, a lion chasing you, um, or just, you know, or or sorry, an actual threat, like a lion chasing you, or a perceived threat, like an emotional failure or something like that, the the brain is going to send signals. The amygdala in particular is going to send signals that we need to be on alert or we need to fight, flight, or flee, right? So the sympathetic nervous system kicks in, right? right? So that fight, flight part of our nervous system um, gets activated. And essentially our body is thinking we are under threat, right? So it kind of like turns off digestion. It, it sort of kind of turns off our immune system and all kinds of other different systems within the body. Um, which is why with like anxiety, you might, you know, be, you might have diarrhea or you might have constipation, right? Because the body's like, I don't got time for this. We got to like prepare to keep ourselves safe. Right. So it's a, it's a safety mechanism. It's an internal alarm system. So if this is going off constantly, right. So actually let me step back. If if we think about in the cave people days, we needed this, right? We needed this to keep us safe because we had actual tigers chasing us or other things that we could uh, be harmed by. And so the body is very hypervigilant to those um, cues in their environment. So the stimuli that's coming, coming in. However, we don't live in that world anymore. Um, but our brain is still wired in a very similar way. So if we already have sort of a conditioned anxious predisposition, maybe our mom or our dad was anxious, or maybe we've gone through trauma or whatever, we might, our nervous system might be sort of patterned to kind of be a little bit more sensitive and respond, uh, more often than not in sort of this fight flight way. And so it's literally flooding yourself with stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol throughout the day when that, when that, um, sort of uh, switches turned on. This can be very harmful for our bodies and our minds, right? Our, our bodies and our minds are not supposed to be at that level of, of stress at all times. We're, still, we're supposed to kind of come back to homeostasis, if you will, or back into our window of tolerance. But if we don't learn about our nervous system, specifically the autonomic nervous system, and for people that don't know, there's the sympathetic nervous system, which is what I've been talking about, the fight, flight, or flee. And then there's the parasympathetic. And for just you know ease, we'll just say that's the rest and digest. There's another component, but we won't go there. Um, and if we don't understand what state we are in or how our bodies experience those states, 
then it's harder for us to get regulated. It's harder for us to come back into that window of tolerance. So I think nervous system education in general is so helpful and so impactful that this is your body doing what it's meant to do to keep you safe. Um, yes, that that's good. And we want that to be intact, but we also want to be in control of it. Um, if that makes sense. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and I think the, you know, something I always like, of course I always make a joke on this. I guess I think I, I repeat my jokes too often on the podcast. Um, like that, you know, you have to be a good therapist by having a lot of metaphors, right? That's the rule. Yeah. We signed a contract, right? When we graduated and we got our license, must use metaphors. I always think like when, when, when you talk about the lion, right? Running after us, I always say, well, you think the lion's next to you right now Mm -hmm. because you, you are viewing whatever perception of your world as the lion growling and showing its teeth in your world when you're not in the wild, right? You're not running from a bear in the forest right now, but you see the bear behind you chasing you when there's no bear. And it's just so interesting because one of the things that I've learned over the past six, seven years of practicing is the idea of awareness being so important for so many people when they don't even realize the words and the things that are happening to them because they haven't never had the language or were taught to see what that stuff is. So, you know, when people talk about, oh, what's so special about therapy? We're humans, right? We're not this, you know, amazing godlike beings, but we're objective to point out and are trained to see things and are experts in certain things to be able to make you aware of it and educate you on your world. And the nervous system runs our life every Mm -hmm. day, like every aspect of our life we are viewing through our eyes and our senses that are touching our nervous system on a daily basis, a moment to moment right now. So one of the things I always ask is that, is there a level that is healthy then, right? We're talking about, okay, we get over, overstimulated or we're so dangerous, right? And we don't know how to get to some semblance of equilibrium or homeostasis. What about the middle? Like we're still heightened, but we're not so heightened that it's uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah I think, um, I think what it's, it's important to, to remember is that a relaxed nervous system isn't necessarily like the goal. Our, our goal is a flexible and resilient nervous system, right? So, cause stressors are going to come in always and forever. Right. Um, so it's, it's about our nervous system to take on that stressor, respond when we, we need to respond and then to come back to a level where we feel more grounded. So a good example is, is you're driving along on the freeway and all of a sudden, you know, the car in front of you starts slamming on their brakes. That's going to kick in your sympathetic nervous system to fight, flight, flee, to respond, right? Mobilize. We're in danger. Okay. The crisis averted it, you know, false alarm, you know, whatever you continue driving along and then and, uh, your favorite song from high school, I don't know, comes on and you just get that, that feeling of like connected and just like you get into that zone. That's kind of an example how our nervous system, we need it to do its thing, right? We need it to, to kind of kick into that sympathetic mode to keep us safe and alert and aware. But then we also needed to come back down into that kind of parasympathetic, what, what they call is the social engagement, um, the ventral vagal. That's, you know, there, there's a lot there, but the ventral vagal kind of state to where we can feel a sense of connected to ourselves, connected to what's going on. Um, our rational brain is, is intact. Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes offline when, when we're in fight flight. So 
Yes. The, the idea is, is to really kind of have this and you obviously can't see it's the podcast, but this like very sort of ebb and flow of the nervous system, sort of responding, recalibrating, responding, recalibrating. But yes, what you just said is exactly right. If we get stuck on, which a lot of people who experience anxiety do that hypo aroused sort of get stuck on. And that's where we kind of live in this like highly anxious, irritable, hypervigilance, a real struggle. We can't sit still or we can't calm ourselves. Um, that's where we get into trouble. Or if we drop down below that, the hypo arouse, that's where then kind of depression can set in very flat, immobilized. It's like, it's like, you know, when a snake grabs a, a mouse and it plays dead, right? It's just, you know, it can't do anything. It's like flat. Um, so the idea is to stay within this window of flexibility. So we don't go too high, spike too high or spike too low. Um, so I like that visualization and that's actually, um, that's not my visualization. The window of tolerance is Dan Siegel, I believe. Um, and if you Google that, um, it's, it's a really nice, you know, visual. That's his, uh, mindset book. Yes. Mindsight, mindsight, mindsight. Right. And, um, and I love that visual because what you're talking about is so important for people to hear. It's not that you shouldn't get stressed or anxious or that you shouldn't get sad or depressed at times when it is, correct and in line with the life and the things that are happening, mm-hmm. right? It's that it waves, waxes and wanes and does this wave move, movement where you get back to center in a healthier perspective than stuck in one extreme or another. Now, does that include big all emotions or are we just specifically talking about anxiety and depression here? Well, no, I think it includes all emotions, or at least that's my perspective. Because if you think about excitement, Excitement mm-hmm. is actually the same physiological response or sensations as like anxiety, right? Yeah. Your stomach, butterflies, you know, that kind of thing. So we need mobilized energy, even, even in some of, you know, excite, you know excitement or big joy or, or whatnot. So, um, yeah, I, and I think of emotions, you know, not as good or bad or positive or negative. They just are right there. We're a range of emotions and we're humans and, and that's what makes us amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that, um, you know, the nervous resp- nervous system responds even in, you know, positive experiences. It doesn't always have to be like a trauma or yeah. really intense or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and so not to put you on the spot, but yeah. uh, what are some of the ways if someone was, was hearing this for the first time and they went, oh, shoot, that's me or I struggle with this or they're even talking to you as a therapist or me as a therapist, mm-hmm. what would be something that how would they start to learn how to regulate or get or learn to live within the wave? Yes. No, good question. Um, and I do this with clients all the time. That first piece, I think that's most important is what we've already talked about is awareness. Becoming very aware of your somatic experience. So, so meaning like when you're anxious, checking in with yourself, what am I noticing in my body? Is it showing up in my chest? Is my heart beating really fast? Am I sweating? Um, what am I notice, noticing when I'm really feeling just grounded and just myself and aligned? Like I'm noticed maybe just a lightness in my limbs or right. When we get really aware of our states, and, and where our nervous system is at, that can be instant cues because usually our body responds before our mind, right? Um, or we're, we're feeling something before we're cognitively putting that together. Um, if we can get really attuned with when we're feeling an activation, mm-hmm. we can then be like, hmm, I think I'm moving into that sympathetic state. And if it's appropriate and it makes sense and we don't necessarily need to be in that sympathetic state, then we add in some coping. And mm. coping, oh my gosh, there's so many. Yeah. And it's about finding what works for you. So I actually 
was posting about this, but like meditation, right? Like maybe if you don't have a meditation practice already, maybe trying to meditate when you're super, super anxious, it's probably not going to be that helpful because stillness is going to be really jarring. So maybe instead you grab some ice, right? And you, and you get really grounded and present in, in the moment and you focus in on that ice. And then maybe when you're not anxious, you build in that meditation practice. So I think it's about trial and error. And I think throughout our lives, as we change as humans, as our circumstances changes, our relationship changes, our coping skills change. So it's about constantly trying to figure out what is resonating with you and your nervous system um, and do more of that. Mm -hmm. I found over the years for me recently, it's been outdoors and sun. Oh yeah. yeah. So like for me, I know you're out in San Diego and like I said, moving to Vegas, it's just something that I've noticed about myself that I didn't realize growing up on the East coast until I married my wife and she converted me to the West coast, best coast mentality. Um, the idea that that is so important to me, like that when it hits my face or hits my body and I'm out there for 15 to 30 minutes, how much of a clear, calmer self I feel. Mm -hmm. And there's so much, no matter how the day is. Oh, so much research. There's a book called, um, uh, the upward spiral. Um, it's, it's like a little, one of those pamphlet books, um, you know, like a hundred something page book on the research of how to get out of depression instead of a downward, how to create the upward spiral of, of yourself. Um, there are bits and pieces that I, I liked and parts that I didn't, you know, after you read so many of these therapy books, it's very repetitive on, you know, sometimes, um, but an exercise and moving, it's why I want to get a dog. Oh, One, I love dogs and yeah. I've wanted a dog since I was six, but two, I, I work from home. I sit all day. I need to get yes. out and move, oh, right? And I know you're into the yeah. movement stuff. So I want to ask a yeah. question then, right? I have multiple questions. I'm so excited to talk to you about this because I have anxiety <laughs> and I struggle with anxiety as well uh, and experience that like a lot of other people do. And I've learned what works yeah. for me. So I love hearing from experts, like what other people and how to deal with other things. And, um, when you have that first panic attack or you have anxiety, you're afraid of that happening again. You don't want that to happen, right? So how do you help someone live within the heightened state of anxiety when it's actually necessary, when they're afraid to be in that state because of how it feels? Yeah. Meaning like how to help their, they know that they're probably going to be very anxious or worried about that state. And then what do you do? And and, and that state is not, something that's unwarranted, but actually proper or correct in the timing of it. And then you feel all the symptoms and you know, you want to be in it. You need to be in it. How do you stay in that moment and be, and go through the anxiety, especially when it's important and a part of the healthy part of what's needed at the time? Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like public speaking. Like it's almost like if you're, if you're afraid of public speaking, or maybe you had a, a moment where you had a panic attack before you public, you know, spoke, you're probably always going to feel that, that activation. And it's going to probably continue to stick with you until you're done with that speech or whatever. And I mean, I think like one, it's being, um, aware, <laughs> aware of your experience, aware of what you're noticing and normalizing it for yourself. So much with anxieties, we get in this like head track of like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's, what's going to, right? Panic attacks. That it, it's just a spiral of like, am I dying? And so I think it's about um, being aware of it's happening. Ooh, this is anxiety. I, oh, hi, anxiety. What's up? You know, I tell clients to name anxiety, like fiery red. She's back. Okay. Let, let's my do name, this. Mine's Brad. Love it, Brad. That's my dad's name. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's, it fits. It fits. Um, 
Yeah, mine's like fiery red. I always I always use that one. But um, to no, to separate ourselves from the experience because we are not anxiety. Anxiety is what we're experiencing. So being able to name it, I think, can be really helpful if it's there, if it's present. Tapping into our body, tapping into what the sensations, um, you know, what what's coming up, and again, and personalize it. Oh man, Brad, he is just coming in hot in my chest. He's beaten, you know, beaten right through. Right. So it's it's sort of like being being adding, like adding a little humor to it. Um, so that, you know, again, you normalize it for yourself. And then my other, like really big, like strong, like encouragement is just the presence, right. To get present in some sort of way. Cause future lives in, in uh, anxiety lives in the future. Depression lives in the past. They can't, they can't thrive in the present. Um, because they just can't. So anything you can do to get yourself really attuned with what's going on, the five senses is a great one, right. You know, what you see, hear, smell, that kind of thing. Um, I always say, you know, grabbing ice or grabbing something tangible, tactile to kind of get your senses going um, with your hands or moving your body, walking. Um, But I think, yeah, like knowing that sometimes it is going to just become activated and it might be perfectly appropriate to do so. And if as much as you can normalize it, separate yourself from it and get present, um, I think that that skill will build, right? Because we're building new neural pathways. So most of us who have experience with anxiety probably have a long history oftentimes, and we have these neural pathways in our brain that are so um, ingrained to maybe you know, uh, spiral out of, out of control when it comes to like, something's wrong with us, or I can't control this, or this is, this is terrible or whatever. So we're trying to build in a new neural pathway of a, a, of a different way of meeting the anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. So that's going to take time. These coping and these skills or whatnot aren't going to like, you know, be super like easy overnight. The more you do them, just like anything, the easier they get. And then the brain's like, Oh wait, I can do that now. I can do that instead of what, what we used to do, right? Oh, I can breathe before this presentation or, you know, I can kind of do jumping jacks, whatever. So that's another big part of anxiety is neuroplasticity that we're trying to change because it's habitual. It, it's, it's often habitual and it's probably been hanging around for a handful of years now. So it, it, it is going to take one. By the way, I, I don't call my anxiety Brad. I just made that up right now. I just. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, I I call I don't know I don't know what I call it but I know I like that skill I was just throwing out that name that's my go to yeah. like guy's name when my daughter asks yeah. me to name one of the dolls it's like Penelope or like I don't know and then I go like Brad I don't know why um, she's like fourteen octopuses named Brad um, and <laughs> but you know something that's really important is that we. I've used the metaphor of the backseat driver versus the driver's perspective like they come in your car it's like a clown car. Right. Okay. They're, they're here. It's like, thank, hi, Brad. Hi, Penelope. Like, nice to meet you. Thank you for joining me. They're not the GPS and the driver, your brain and you are right. So that's something that I always use, but something that I've, you know, a couple last two weeks ago, I woke up and I was, I was on edge. Yeah. Nothing happened yet in the day. Yeah. And I th- said to myself, I went, okay, I'm kind of anxious today. Yeah. And that was it. Not, let me analyze it, overthink it, rethink it, rehash it, wonder what happened. Yeah. I live within it because it happens sometimes. Yes. And you're, 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 step, or you're touching on a point that I think is so, so important about this idea of befriending it, right? Because we get so like combative towards it and it just amplifies. It wants 100%. to be heard. It wants to be seen. It wants to keep you safe. So if we can kind of befriend it like you, that example, that can help sometimes too. Just accept that, mm, 
this is my state today. Okay. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, maybe I had, you know, this, or maybe this is happening, or I look at my schedule, maybe there's a client that I'm a little anxious about, you know, I'm moving in a couple of weeks, maybe it's that, I have to pack, you know, my kid didn't sleep all the night before, so now I didn't sleep well, who knows what it is, but I'm anxious, okay. And my wife goes, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a little anxious right now. She's like, are you good? I'm like, yeah, I'll be okay. And that's that's the end of the conversation. And something that you, you took talk a lot about is stillness, right? And to me... And, and to a lot of people, like, what does that mean, be still? Like, what does that mean to be still in the world that we live in today? You know, and also, when you are stressed or overwhelmed or you're in a heightened state of being, stillness is the last thing that you even think is possible because you just need to, like, your body, you just need to move. So can you talk about the power of stillness, what that actually means in a practical way, and how we can start doing that in our life in the world that we live in today? Totally. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I am, I'm one to identify with the high functioning anxiety and never stopping. And I still, right. I'm still working on this as, you know, same. Yeah. So stillness, I just, I think of it as a way, um, we can also replace it like a recalibration, giving Mm -hmm. our nervous system a break, giving our mind a break. Stillness can be so powerful because it's creating that buffer between just our, our autonomic nervous system, you know, the sympathetic part of our nervous system, just go, 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 which is just going to lead to burnout, Bill. So I think with stillness, it's about going at your own pace, right? Um, this has taken me quite some time for a long time to kind of figure out what stillness means to me. I think everyone needs to define it for themselves in their own ways. But for instance, I'll share my, you know, the way that I kind of embody it. Um, for me, it's about routines, right? So I have have a nightly, what I call stillness routine to be able to kind of, um, decompress instead of, you know, sitting myself in front of a TV or sitting myself in front of my phone. I'm, I'm working to focus on stillness practices that can help my body and brain to recalibrate. So, you know, it looks a little bit like, um, I sip on bone broth, um, in the evening, again, that idea of stillness, slowly sipping something, slowly letting it, you know, just go into your body, noticing the heat, right? Um, again, to kind of get out of that hyper productive, hyper achievement, hyper go, 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 um, zone. I'm, I'm trying to kind of calm my body and my mind down. Um, I do have like a meditation practice, a guided meditation. That's an example of stillness. I do have like gentle stretching as an example of stillness, anything that can ground your body, reconnect with yourself, um, slow things down. Stillness is another, you know, another word for slow. Mm. Uh, So instead of just like jamming through your day, you know, jamming through the night routine, especially if you have kids and then zoning out on TV, because even TV, even though you feel like you're relaxing, as you know, as most of us know, it's not relaxing. You're getting more stimuli coming in. You're processing still, you're feeling still, right? TV shows can evoke feelings. That's not helpful to our nervous system. It's, It's still going, it's still working. So, um, yeah, we got to kind of intentionally, um, integrate different things. Um, and even, even if like you're super busy and this is super new to you, maybe it's just even a conscious breath when you wake up, that's it. Just start there and just take a conscious breath and then you kind of can build up, you know? So maybe then you add in your shower in the morning, maybe instead of thinking about all the things you focus on the water, you focus on maybe the tiles or you do square breathing. I do square breathing with the tiles in my shower. Um, and know that I don't do this every day. Like I, I, it's not perfect. It's, it's, it's just, it's something that I'll build, you know, I, I build as I go. Um, and it gets more familiar because again, we're building that new pathway that, that didn't necessarily exist. 
for for me the the practices that I you know throw into my routine as best as I can when I can is I stop picking up my phone first thing when I get up. Yeah. So because I get emails, you know, I'm on like this list service and that, you know, email list and this thing and that thing and Instagram and social media and what I was working on the day before. It just, it just starts the day already in an intense way. So I wait till my, I try my best to wait till I get my daughter to school. So she's at school, right? right, I try. Yeah. I try. The other thing I do is in the shower. um, So I have ADHD. Um, which anxiety and ADHD are a very fun combination. Yeah. And so for me, senses are very big for me and smell is a really big thing. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I, I very, I'm very particular about the smells in my, like my shampoos and my, and I interchange them. So if you look at my bathroom, people make fun of me that I have like six different body washes and four different shampoos. Yeah. What? Because it's like, yeah. it's, 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 it's for like what, what I'm in the mood for. And I'll sit in the smell like that will be like when I shower, like it's like the smell of the shower. It's the experience. And the two things I do as well is I'm very into music, mm-hmm. which is why I got these Bose headphones on. Um, I'll listen to music and really be still in the music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is I make tea. Love it. Yeah. It's the warmth. It's the brewing the, 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 the fresh tea leaves it's the experience of sipping the tea and smelling it and tasting it and the and just being present right and stillness doesn't have to be stopping doing things that's what people don't realize is that when we talk about stillness we're just giving ourselves moments to recalibrate and to stop not life Mm -hmm. because it doesn't mean that you have to go on vacation to be on stillness and just stop interacting with the world yeah it means just slowing yourself down so that you can reset for the next thing you have to do and not go till the world is ending. Um, you know, we, we only have a little bit left. So something I would love to ask is what, for someone who's struggling with this extremes or the, they cannot keep the waves uh, balance, what would be one or two things you would love for them to hear wrapping up this episode? Yeah. That you're not alone, that you're not alone <laughs> and reminding yourself that because I think so many of us resonate in that way. So many of us have been conditioned or trained or the modern society, whatever. Um, and we're all working on it. Um, I think the other thing is seeking support, right? If you had, if you had some ailment in your physical body, you probably wouldn't hesitate to go to the medical doctor. So why wouldn't we do that? If we feel really dysregulated, or we feel really disconnected or agitated or irritated for long periods of time. And, and if it's impairing our functioning, even more so of getting support therapist or, or even your a friend, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, mental health professional, but it can be really helpful if it is. Um, but just getting someone to understand you and hear you and see you can be, can be soothing. Co-regulation is a big, big part of nervous system regulation as, as well. So that can be, um, healing as well. So yeah, I mean, you're not alone and, and get the support you need because you deserve it is what I would say. Yeah, I would love to maybe have you on again or do a live about how to deal with the, the nervous system with children and how to help with that. Uh, we didn't have time to talk about that today. Um, but uh, where could people find and learn more about what you do and who you are and everything you're up to? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. Um, my handle is Dr. Kelly Vinson. Um, and then my website has a lot of information about me and my practice at drkellyvinson.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for showing up today and really just educating us on such an amazing, important topic. Yeah, thank you.
Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week and see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast because we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.